Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15, Jesus says to us, This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive people their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And this is God's word. So last week we had a look at the first part of verse 12, where Jesus taught us to pray and forgive us our debts. But that's only the first part of the phrase. It doesn't stop there. Jesus says that we are to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Walter Wink tells the story of two peacemakers who visited a group of Polish Christians 10 years after the end of World War II. And they asked these Polish Christians, would you be willing to meet with some Christians from West Germany? They want to ask forgiveness for what Germany did to Poland during the war, and they want to begin a new relationship. And after they'd asked the question, there was silence among this group of Christians for quite a while. And then finally, one of these Polish Christians spoke up and he said, what you are asking is impossible. Each stone of Warsaw is soaked in Polish blood. We cannot forgive. I'm not willing to meet with these Germans. And so the meeting abruptly ended. But before the group left, as was their practice, they closed the meeting in prayer. And at the end of the prayer, as was also their custom, they prayed the Lord's Prayer together. And when they reached these words, forgive us our sins as we also, everyone stopped praying. And there was this extremely tense silence that went on building and building and building until eventually the same Polish man spoke up again and he said this, I must say yes to you. I could no longer more pray the Our Father. I could no longer call myself a Christian if I refuse to forgive. Humanly speaking, I cannot do it, but God will give us his strength. Eighteen months later, these Polish Christians met with a group of Christians uh, from Germany in Vienna, and they established friendships that exist to this day. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Somebody has pointed out that the scariest word in that sentence is not the word debt or the word forgive, but the word as. So if you travel through life long enough, chances are that at some point in your life you are going to get hurt and you are going to need to forgive. Some acts of forgiveness are pretty quick and pretty easy and we don't even think about them. I'm sorry I was late, there was an accident on the end too. Sure, no problem. But there are other hurts that cut us more deeply. 
perhaps cut us to the very center of who we are. And trying to forgive those acts can be extremely difficult and require all our resources as followers of Christ. Now, forgiveness is such a big topic that I'd like to try and spend two weeks having a look at it. So I'm going to preach two sermons on the topic with some overlap, but but it's really worth listening to both. So I promise to make this sermon a bit shorter, next sermon a bit shorter, if you promise to come back next week, even if it is a long weekend, or at least listen to it over the WhatsApp, because the two messages really go together. I want just to remind us of a few things. This won't be a comprehensive look at forgiveness, but hopefully some things that will push us and poke us in this particular, in this particular aspect of our Christian lives. And I'd like us to begin by asking the question, well, what is forgiveness? What would forgiveness look like? Thomas Watson was an English Puritan preacher and author who lived in the 1600s, and in his book, A Body of Divinity, Thomas Watson said this about forgiveness. He said, when do we forgive? When we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish well to them, grieve at their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. Now, that is quite a definition, but it's a very good definition, because as we'll see, each phrase of that is backed up by what the Bible says, and I think that this big picture of what forgiveness looks like can act as a motivating vision for us. So let's go through this again, just a phrase at a time. What is forgiveness? Well, firstly, forgiveness takes place when we strive against all thoughts of revenge. What is our natural response to being wronged? I don't know about you, but within me, I want to get even. When the taxi has stopped right in front of me and put his emergency lights on, I want to go around him and stop and put my emergency lights on. But that's not God's way. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. That was a very simple example, obviously. I'm not sure if God strikes people with, uh, with his wrath. But, but when I give up my right to take revenge, what am I doing? I'm trusting God. I'm placing the situation in God's hands, and I'm recognizing that he is the only righteous judge. You see, unlike God, I don't have all of the facts. I don't know about that person's childhood, their influences. I don't know what goes on in the depths of their hearts. I don't know how they have been hurt. I don't know their true motives. Only God knows that. And so while indeed they may turn out to be wrong, it is up to God to deal with the situation and not me. That's what Jesus himself did. He is our model. Listen to these words from the book of 1 Peter. Peter tells us that Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. 
When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Revenge isn't sweet. Revenge is bitter, mainly because it poisons the one who takes revenge. When the Bible says don't take revenge, that command isn't there to protect my intended victim. I think that that command is there to protect me from becoming a a bad person myself. Secondly, forgiveness takes place when we will do our enemies no mischief. I heard about a husband and wife who had a blazing row just before going to bed. And the husband stormed into the bedroom and slammed the door behind him without speaking to his wife. And when the wife went to bed, she noticed uh, that her husband was asleep and there was a note on her pillow. The note said, I have an important meeting tomorrow morning. Wake me up at six o'clock. Well, the next morning, the husband woke up and he looked at his clock and he saw it was eight o'clock and he jumped out of bed and he looked to where his wife usually slept and there on the pillow was a note. The note said, it's six o'clock, time to wake up. (laughs) In contrast to that... (laughs) The Bible says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, make sure that nobody pays back evil for evil. Do you see why? It's so easy when I think I'm fighting dragons to become a dragon myself, to be involved in evil when evil has been done against me. Thirdly, Thomas Watson says that forgiveness takes place when I can wish my enemies well. Jesus told us in Luke chapter 6 that we're to bless those who curse you, to to wish them well, to wish God's best for them. Uh, In his book on forgiveness, uh, Lewis Smedes, a Christian theologian and counselor, tells this story about a friend of his called Myra. He says, Myra is a beautiful woman, an actress, who was almost killed by a hit-and-run driver a few years ago. She was left crippled, but still gorgeous and luminous. Her husband, a TV and film star, stayed with her only until she recovered from the accident. Then coldly and quickly he took off and left her alone. I asked Myra if she'd been able to forgive him. She said she thought so. I asked her what made her think so. I find myself wishing him well, she said. I brought down. Suppose you learned today that he had married a sexy young starlet. Could you pray that he would be happy with her? I expected her to bristle at my pushy insensitivity. But she responded almost casually. Yes, I could and I would. Steve needs love very much and I want him to have it. I was skeptical. She sounded far too simple and sweet. But over time I came to know that her forgiveness was genuine. She really did wish him well. A modest beginning, to be sure, not an Olympic plunge into a new relationship. I don't know whether her feelings made any difference in the life of her former husband, but they made all the difference in the world to Myra's life. The hate was gone, and when the mortar of hate goes, the wall eventually crumbles. Fourthly, forgiveness takes place when I can grieve at my enemy's calamities. But the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 24, do not gloat when your enemy falls, when he stumbles. Don't let your heart rejoice. 
Linked to that, fifthly, forgiveness takes place when I can pray for them. Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 5, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew something about praying for one's enemies. Uh, Bonhoeffer was the German pastor who opposed Adolf Hitler uh, when most other pastors in Nazi Germany were happy to go along with the Nazi program. Uh, Bonhoeffer was arrested, he was put in a concentration camp at Flossenburg, and he was later hanged on the express orders of Heinrich Himmler just a few weeks before the concentration camp was liberated by the Allies. Bonhoeffer then knew what he was talking about when he wrote these words. He says, through the medium of prayer, we go to our enemy, stand by his side, and plead for him to God. Jesus does not promise that when we bless our enemies and do good to them, they will not despitefully use and persecute us. They certainly will. But not even that can hurt or overcome us so long as we pray for them. We are doing vicariously for them what they cannot do for themselves. God loves his enemies. That is the glory of his love, as every follower of Jesus knows. Number six, forgiveness takes place when I seek reconciliation with them. That the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I'll come back to that point a, a little bit later on in, in the series. And then number seven, forgiveness takes place when we show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve our enemies. Again, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 23, if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to take it back to him. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, don't leave it there. Be sure you help him with it. That's the ancient equivalent of helping your enemy on the side of the road with a flat tire. Amazing advice uh, written in a book 4,000 years old. And in the New Testament, that, that idea is repeated. Uh, we read from Romans 12 a few moments ago where Paul says, don't take revenge. The very next verse is, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. So I think in, in that passage, then, we, we get a, a big picture of, of what forgiveness could look like. Hopefully it's inspiring. But let's move on and ask the question, why should we forgive? Isn't forgiving someone simply perpetuating evil? Aren't you asking me to do something? I'm already hurt. Why should I now do something that's even more difficult? Again, some of this we'll, we'll cover, cover next week. But, but let's look at, at why we should forgive. And we begin, firstly, with God. Coming back to the Lord's Prayer, verse 14 and 15, Jesus says to us, For if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive people their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What does Jesus mean here? 
Well, he's not speaking about merit or earning forgiveness from God. You know, that if I forgive others, then God will forgive me. Uh, No, there's nothing that we can do to earn God's forgiveness. What this does mean, though, that if is that if I am an unforgiving person, if I refuse to forgive others, then it's very clear that I failed to understand and truly appropriate God's forgiveness of me. So a little bit later on in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 18, Jesus gives a vivid picture of exactly what he's asking us to pray when we pray as we have forgiven our debtors. Uh, Remember, there's a servant who owes a king 3.5 million rand, a lifetime's income, and yet he begs the king, be patient with me and I'll pay back everything. It's totally impossible. The king then takes pity on this man and he cancels this huge debt. The servant then goes outside and he finds a fellow servant who owes him about 250 rand and he grabs the man and he begins to choke him. He says, pay back what you owe me. And the man replies, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refuses and he throws the man in jail until he can repay the debt. And when the king hears what's happened, he calls the servant in and he says, you wicked servant, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And he throws the servant into prison until he can repay the debt. Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Forgiveness is hard. Actually, it's as hard as nails. It costs Jesus an awful amount in blood and death to forgive me. And as he hung dying, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The reason we forgive is because we're forgiven. Paul can write to us in Ephesians 4 and say, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I forgive others because I've been forgiven, and it's an incredible feeling It's an incredibly freeing feeling that I go through life thinking to myself, it is astounding. I have been completely forgiven by the God of the universe. Though my sin effectively, uh, or rather through my sin, I was effectively the one who struck him and spat in his face and nailed him to a cross, and yet he has forgiven me. When I truly comprehend all that God has forgiven me, It makes it a little easier to forgive others. Secondly, I'm engaged in forgiveness because, as I've said, forgiveness frees us. As long as I don't forgive someone, they occupy rent-free space in my mind. They keep on hurting me every time I bring up the hurt in my mind. And the problem is that unforgiveness then can make me bitter and twisted and take away my joy in life. It ruins my life and it actually does nothing to the person who hurt me. They may be sleeping peacefully, drooling into their pillow, completely oblivious to the pain that I'm experiencing. In one of his books, Max Lucado points out that forgiving someone is setting them free only to discover that you yourself were the prisoner. Forgiveness, in fact, then becomes something we do for ourselves 
We're not helping an abuser, we are setting ourselves free. And then thirdly, I forgive because at some time in my life I'm going to need to seek forgiveness from others. Somebody once said to John Wesley, the great Methodist minister, I never forgive and I never forget. To which Wesley replied, then sir, I hope you never sin. I hope you never need to be forgiven. Because although there are those difficult times when we need to forgive others, there are also those hard times where we have to take our cap in our hand and go and ask forgiveness from someone else. I know the joy of being freely forgiven by other people. Someone once said that those who cannot forgive others break the bridge over which they themselves must pass. And then finally, how how do we forgive? Again, we'll come back to some of this next week. Um, Just remembering the words of the Polish student that I shared at the beginning of the message. Humanly speaking, I cannot do it, but God will give us his strength. But there are a couple of things, not, not simple steps, but a couple of things to bear in mind that may help us when we think of forgiving other people. So firstly, empathy. Just trying to understand why the other person hurt us. Some people hurt us because they think we deserve it. I'm pretty sure in my life there are some people who've thought, I'm going to hurt Andrew, and in fact he deserves far less than I'm about to, de- to, to dish out. Sometimes people hurt us from good intentions. How many of you haven't hurt someone unintentionally from the best of motives? Sometimes people hurt us out of the overflow of hurt in their own lives. Maybe we're not even aware of of that. But there is a little phrase that I think can be helpful that is true, and that is that hurt people hurt people. Maybe something happened in their childhood or something is going on in their life right now. Sometimes people hurt us because they're caught up in the situation. Like a schoolgirl who hears a group of girls gossiping about her and then is horrified to hear her best friend joining in. What, what's happened? Her friend doesn't mean those things. She just wants to feel in with the crowd. Sometimes people are completely unaware of the fact that they've hurt us or they themselves don't know what they're doing or why they're doing it. And just trying to think and trying to understand may help us. But also, we look at the other person, uh, we, we, we look at who the other person is who has hurt us. We, we try to see them differently. And again, this takes place when we understand the difference Jesus has made in our lives. We need to try these, to see these folk as Jesus sees them. We separate, separate out what they did from who they are. So again, in his book uh, on forgiveness, Lewis Smedes puts it this way. As we forgive people, we gradually come to see the deeper truth about them, a truth that our hate blinds us to, a truth we can see only when we separate them from what they did to us. The truth about those who hurt us is that they are weak, needy, and fallible human beings. They were people before they hurt us, and they are people after they hurt us. They were needy and weak before they hurt us, and they were weak and needy after they hurt us. They needed our help, our support, our comfort before they did us wrong, and they need it still. 
They are not only people who hurt us. This is not the deepest truth about them. The people who hurt us are still those who've been created and fashioned by God, and they are still people for whom Christ died. And that thought can help us in forgiveness. Secondly, we need to realize that forgiveness is a gift that we give to the other person. Uh, forgiveness is, is a gift. That's why the word give is right there in the middle of forgiveness. Uh, the gift is, is probably an act of the will first. It's a decision that I make. Um, I might not feel like forgiving, um, but I'm going to make this decision. I forgive. And hopefully the feelings of forgiveness come later. And thirdly, I think it's important to see that, that it is a process. It doesn't happen all at once. I may need to keep on forgiving again and again. And hopefully each time it gets a little bit easier. So as I think of that person and I think of what they've done, I say to myself, I, I, forgive, I forgive that. Or I go and say to them, I forgive you. Um, but then I think about it again and I have to repeat the process. I have forgiven. And over time, I think that forgiveness takes place. It's not, we'll, we'll, again, we'll see this next week, it's not that I don't remember what happened, but if the pain has been taken away, it's a sign that, that I've forgiven. Well, our time is gone. As I say, we're going to come back to this again next week. Um, there are some really good resources out there on this topic. I've referred to Lewis Smead's book, book Forgive and Forget, uh, David Augsburger has got a good book, The Freedom of Forgiveness. Uh, Tim Keller's just released a book too, simply called Forgiveness. And if you want resources or if you want help, this is what the body is for. We can help one another in this. But let's pray and let's ask that something of what we've looked at today would encourage us and help us in, in this difficult part of our lives. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we've experienced your presence here this morning. We've experienced you as our King, as Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you that we've been able to pray and bring ourselves and our needs before you. And now, Lord, we, we've looked at this difficult topic of forgiveness. And yet we thank you that you have forgiven us for everything, that all of our sin, past, present, and future, was laid on the Lord Jesus Christ, and Lord Jesus, that you have forgiven us. And so please, won't you help us to be people of forgiveness? Lord, I recognize that there are folks sat here this morning who are bearing heavy burdens, perhaps burdens that they've never even spoken to with somebody else. And I pray, Lord, that as we've looked into your word, that your word will, will, will have touched them, but, but not cut them or wounded them, but encouraged them. Lord, we thank you that you come and you speak to us words of love and words of encouragement and words of life. And so we, we pray that we would be able to take encouragement from your word today. And we also pray that where we need help, where we need the body, that we would do that as well, that we'd reach out to one another and say, I need, I need some help in this area. But as we go into this week, Father, into a world where forgiveness just is non-existent, we pray that we would be sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father who forgives. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.